It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. To us. Fires. Touchdown, Miami. Waddle. Snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, it's exclusively a Twitter mailbag episode. I put out the call for your questions via Twitter. You write in with your thoughts and questions, and we flesh them out here on the podcast. Mostly football today, so not a lot of television or Better Call Saul, whatever we're going to talk about. A lot of dolphin stuff in there. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So when I recorded this episode, I was in South Florida, but now as you're hearing it, I'm back in the Pacific Northwest and I found a beachfront condo for $250 a night in Lincoln City on the Oregon coast, which is the region that my wife and I hope to one day retire to someday, hopefully. If you've not been to the Oregon coast, I cannot recommend it enough and maybe nostalgia plays a role there, but I just think it's the best place on earth in the summertime. That's where I'm going to be for a week late in June, but for now we are in the central part of Washington State, seeing family, seeing friends, and soaking up some not-so-humidly hot summer days. But let's go ahead and get to the flavor of the hour. You guys wrote in with your questions. I have the answers. At least I think I do. And I want to do as many of these as we can. I believe there was 21 in there. I'm hoping to get to as many of those as we possibly can. And we start here from... At Yo Soy Tua Papa, great Twitter name. What would be deemed a successful season <clears throat> for the 2022 Miami Dolphins? I'm going to go back to what Coach McDaniel said in the fish tank because I think he said it best there. And I've been saying, you know, something similar. I'm not going to say anywhere close to the level of Coach McDaniel, but something similar since really 2019 and even before that. I mean, it's process over results because as coach said so many variables can go against you in this game whether it's just lucky things that happen like a missed field goal a a bounce of the football on a punt uh, a call you might not agree with the wrong holding call to take a big play off the board what if you finally get the defensive look you've been hoping for to exploit all game long and someone gets an early start false start and you never see that look again. There are so many variables that play into the results in this game. It's a very fine it's a fine line between victory and defeat. When you only have 17 games, those records and playoff berths can be fleeting. They can be not lucky, but there can be things that happen that don't necessarily tell you which team was better or worse. So to me, competing consistently, showing growth in areas that you need to show growth in, showing that this offense can match the personnel that was acquired to Ron Armstead, Tariq Hill, Cedric Wilson Jr., you guys get it. Growth at quarterback. Look, we know the narratives out there. How nice would it be 
to get the offense humming at a level that those daily debates are looked back upon in a year from now and mocked. That's That would be great for me, personally. And then with the defense, well, if they play like we know they're capable of, then I think everything takes care of itself there. So a successful season to me equals similar defensive production, a jump from the offense, some tangible growth at the quarterback position. Those would be great successes. And the results of that, if that process plays out, well, you'd think it would be pretty good too, but I, I don't think it's fair to say the final result is necessarily who you are. Like you are what your record says you are. I've never agreed with that because we talked about this in 2018. Like a lot of the wins that year were, you know, opponents missing field goals or just things of that nature. Or even, you know, even last year, some of the the bounces that went against the Dolphins, three straight walk-off field goals. And then in those three games, the Dolphins missed their own field goals. Just things that, you know, you play 60 minutes of football and it comes down to a kick. I'm not going to, you know, disown the left guard because a field goal didn't go in. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So process over results. But I think those things about the offense showing growth, defense showing you similar production, and getting a a really good definitive answer at quarterback would be great signs uh, of growth in a good season. At Paul Con McGuire, rebuilds don't happen overnight, Travis. And with so many new players and skill positions on offense, what are the chances of making the playoffs this season? Will the Dolphins need to lean on the defense the first six to eight games of the year until the offense can reach its full potential? It's a good question. And I wouldn't call it a rebuild because I think that began back in 2019. And you can look at how far the roster has come since that 2019 roster where you set a record for most players used, UDFAs, guys off the street, you know, coming in, signing on Tuesday, playing on Sunday. And now where the roster is with cornerstone pieces, quality starters, adequate starters, good depth, good balance of youth and veteran players. And how successful this team has been since that time at utilizing the resources that came from that undertaking. Since that time, you've hit on draft picks, you've acquired good young talent, you have cornerstone players up and down the roster. And then your idea, Paul, about the defense kind of carrying the way early on, that would have been probably preferable last year because the one and seven start, the defense wasn't playing like we know it can. And it could be that way. It's possible, but it could also be that McDaniel's version of his offensive system that he talks about, right? Like we know the system that he comes from. He talks about working in that system for 17 years, but it's going to have a McDaniel twist on it, a McDaniel flavor on it. Maybe that little wrinkle or flavor is a bit of a shock to the rest of the NFL. And it takes them four or five games to catch up to the Dolphins offense. You just never know. That's why we watch, right? I I can't freaking wait for this football season. It should be a lot of fun at born frown. What a great name that is. Who looks most improved out of the young offensive lineman? Well, it's tough to really get a beat for me without pads on and really at practice in general. I mean, I'm sure if I had the tape and could get to the tight copy, the end zone behind the play copy, and run back each play several times, I could tell you, hey, look, 74 is consistently getting the strike zone with his punch, or 68 is doing an excellent job of coming off the ball with a low pad level. 73 is really moving out there and hitting his blocks in space in a controlled manner, but I don't have that. And that said, Eichenberg's name has come up next to a lot of the second and third level runs in my OTA notebooks I have. I think he can really play with some power in a phone booth and turn guys out. And his 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 traits transition to, to, I think, a lot of positions on the offensive line, but in particular inside. And I think where the biggest advantage is, is just understanding the art of offensive line play. Like you go back to his college tape and the scouting reports, super high floor, total technician, 
rarely beat by counter moves. I think Liam has, has had a nice spring camp so far. And just because I want to make it perfectly known, I think Rob Hunt is a very, very, very good player. And I think we've seen that so far through his first two years here and into spring camp in 2022. Next question from at I sweetheart. Currently, who is your under the radar player? That's tough. I think there are some good options based upon what maybe the national coverage is for this team, right? Like Zach Sealer, for instance, is an incredible player. We know that. But does John in Oklahoma, does Joe in South Dakota know about that? Or shoot, there was a weakest position per team article out there this spring or yeah, earlier this spring that talked about the Dolphins safeties being a position they had to address. It was the weakest position on the team. Well, then I'd like to introduce you to Javon Holland because that's laughable. Let's do it from the Dolphins fan perspective, though. If you're on this podcast, you know all about Javon Holland and Zach Sealer. So I'm going to take receiver Trent Sherfield. I think he's going to give you 15 to 20 special team snaps every game and give you insane effort on those. He's going to run his routes on offense in a way that best helps open up space and create chances for either himself or his teammates. And I think he's an exceptional exceptional run blocker the impact guys like him and Eric Ezukama could have down in the red zone in the running game I think could be a big boon that not a lot of folks are talking about heading into the season next question from at Ricardo bunch of numbers he asks how concerned should we be with the offense is not fully clicking right now not at all not at all also we have seen a lot of things click on offense like I guess my question would be where have you heard that from because consider the source I'm not entirely sure I agree with the idea in the first place, but the defense has won their days. The offense has had theirs. The offense has hit a bunch more explosives, and the run game looks blocked up pretty good more often than not than a year ago, I would say. But still, man, not to go full Iverson here, but it's practice. It's practice. I remember a great quote from, I think it was Keenan Allen from the Chargers, but I could be wrong there. But he talked about evaluating practices for some grand takeaway is a very risky proposition when you're considering the outside source, like not about players and coaches who are doing it. And that's in training camp, much less OTAs when you're in shorts and shells installing basic principles of your offense and defense. We talked about, he talked about, I should say, how different guys have different goals at various stages of the offseason. A veteran might be working on something new that requires him to take some lumps before he perfects it. Like when you fix your golf swing, it's not pretty in the beginning, but when you get the result on tour, that's what you see, right? Maybe a rookie is doing the same thing, trying to get his technique to go from what his college coaches asked him to do to what his pro coaches asked him to do. This does feel like an age-old question. Is it good for the defense when they play well, or is it bad for the offense when the defense plays well? A little bit of both, vice versa on that. My final point is that sweating what happens on a football field in May and June, it's not healthy. (laughs) If you are, I go back to the early recommendation. Just go ahead and go outside, touch some grass, and enjoy the summertime. All right, let's go ahead and take our first break. We'll come back on the other side with more of your questions here on the Drive Time Twitter mailbag edition of the podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on a Friday edition of the Drive Time podcast, answering your questions via the Twitter mailbag. We are brought to you by AutoNation. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and we pick it back up here From the Twitter mailbag, I put the call out for questions. You guys write in with your answers. We talk about them here. Your questions, I should say. My answers on the podcast. At not underscore Mr. underscore Delecto. Who are your top three off-the-radar breakout candidates? 
mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think the term breakout does make this question different. So we'll go ahead and take it. I'm taking big Rob Hunt for one of them. I think his skill set matches what this system can ultimately do for him. And he talked about playing under Billy Napier at UL, University of Louisiana Lafayette, uh, in an offense that really prioritized spacing, athletic ability, outside zone, uh, some vertical sets, things that are going to happen in a spaced out offense. Two things I think can that he can do and has shown he can do are those two things, getting out in space, controlled, duo, combo blocks, climbing to that second level. I like this scheme change for him a lot. Jalen Phillips is my second guy. I know he talked about, or he had the eight and a half sacks last year, and you go back and listen to the Fish Tank episode with Jalen Phillips on it. You'll hear him talk about how much he thinks he can grow and trying to be a guy that can be on the field for all three downs, you know, on any given particular series. He's been damn good in the offseason program. I think the pressure numbers and the pass rush kind of arsenal got ratcheted up last year late in the season. I think he can continue that and put it all together and really take off in year number two. And man, I feel like we could do 10 players here because yeah, there's a lot of them, but I'll just go ahead and take, well, you said off the radar, so that removes Waddle, Holland, probably Phillips too, but I already talked about him, so it's too late. Two was not off the radar. That would be my number one pick. Let's go ahead and do Brandon Jones. He talked about getting better at every area of his game the last time we spoke to him and was even asked about shaking this idea of being, you're just a blitzing safety, right? That's not accurate. He does a lot more than that. And I go back to his Texas tape when he was very good in a lot of coverage roles there, playing that slot star position, off coverage, press coverage, rotating into zone. I think you'll see his entire game take another step this year, especially as he and Holland keep getting more and more time together. Like that play against the Ravens where he strung out the jet sweep to, I think it was Devin Duvernay and just basically kept him behind the line so Holland could scrape around and make that play in the backfield. There's lots of that on Brandon Jones's tape. So it's a lot more than just blitzing for him. At Mersa Nova, what was the Porter signing all about? What do you see his fits or attributes to the team as? Sure, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. He was a nightmare at USC. I remember that. He definitely ruined a 10-2 and season. Didn't ruin the season, but he ruined one of the two losses the Cougs had that year when they went on to beat Oklahoma State in the Alamo Bowl that season. Lost in like week number three to USC and then the Apple Cup, which we lose every year except for this last year. Go Cougs. But he had a play in that game where he had put a pressure on Gardner Minshew that forced an incomplete pass. I still think his hands were up high to the helmet, but I digress because he was all over the backfield that game. I remember that, and I remember him being that nightmare for opposing teams every time I watched USC play back in 2018 and before that. He's got a great combination of build and speed. Look at his relative athletic scorecard, 9.67. That's out of 10. In the green categories, the elite categories, the 90th percentile of your position group, he was in that category in the shuttle, the three cone, the bench, the vertical jump. Really good agility for a linebacker. He's got 749 career snaps on defense as a pro, 25 pressures on 420 pass rush reps, which is one for every eight or nine pass rush snaps. Not too bad. 24 run stops on 318 rundown reps. He only played 11 snaps in coverage. So off the edge, come after the quarterback, set a hard edge in the running game. He did give Cleveland 105 snaps over the final four games of last year. So he's played some football here recently. His greatest impact has been on special teams, though. 233 snaps in his career, and his pro football focus grade has improved each of the three years on special teams, culminating in a score over 70, which is a quality production score. But you go back to his scouting report, first step explosiveness pops off the tape, and that's not just athletically. He plays with this certain level of fire and intensity 
If you just go back to the college tape, I'd have to pop on the pro tape to give you the same level of analysis there. But he is a master at cleanup sacks when it comes to effort. And we do talk about, what do we talk about, I should say, this defense does here all the time, right? Like create chances, set picks, being part of a selfless rush lane integrity pass rush plan that doesn't always pay off your effort in terms of the sack numbers. You have to be very selfless. Coach Austin Clark, Tyrone McKenzie's talked about it too since his arrival, but Austin Clark worked with both linebackers and defensive line over the last couple of years, and he has talked about how this is the most selfless group he's ever been a part of. You have to be willing to basically go set the pick for the pick and roll, right? And Gustin, as a prospect, was great at redirecting and finding the football and cleaning up broken plays. And when you run rush games up front and you have great lockdown coverage on the backside, there's going to be a lot of those opportunities. So maybe as a sub-package rusher, he can come in and make an impact that way. He shocks guys in the running game with a hard edge, a very strong punch that helps him control that outside arm, stay on the upfield shoulder, make a play that way. And the last thing, and I picked this up from researching him, was that he has a very legendary workout slash nutritional plan where he eats 10,000 calories a day. He's always eating quick digestion. He works his butt off because I guess he was a, a, in the word that I saw in the article was scrawny, a scrawny high schooler who wound up at six foot five, 265 pounds by the time he was done at USC. You know what? I I went ahead and tweeted the link out on my timeline just now. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, The story on Porter Gus and how he had to work to get himself into football shape and eventually become a professional football player. Let's go ahead and go here to at Thought Smasher. Who would win in a fight? One medium-sized grizzly bear or Raekwon Davis? <laughs> well, unlike Dwight Schrute, I do not have a catalog of bear knowledge at my disposal. I do know that grizzlies are the biggest, most ferocious of the bears, so maybe I do. Black bears are definitely not best. But I think we got to take the grizzly here because of the advantage of claws and teeth, right? That's really it. Bear hands for Raekwon, equipped hands, and a biting mechanism for the bear. Because I think strength, length, and size is all pretty comparable. That sounds funny, but it's probably not that far off. You put a bear through the combine, can he change directions like Raekwon Davis? Can he take on a lead blocking fullback like Raekwon Davis? Can he eat up a double team like Raekwon Davis? Can he... Uh, pinch and condense and stack and shed and get off blocks like Raekwon Davis? I don't think so. So I think that if you removed the aspect of the claws and teeth, we have a fair fight, but otherwise not very fair. That's your bear analysis here. Let's go ahead and take our last break. We have two more questions here on the Twitter mailbag. Your host, Travis Wingfield, Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on the Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. My name is Travis Wingfield. I am your host, and we have a lot to get to this summer. We're going to preview every position group. We're going to do some coaches' audio, some analysis, some stats to get you guys ready for training camp, which if you have not uh, done so in the past, highly recommend coming out to practice and watching these guys get after it. It's my favorite time of the football calendar. You can't lose games. You get to evaluate football. You get to watch football for a couple of hours. It's a lot of fun. So come on out to training camp and get ready with the training camp preview series up on MiamiDolphins.com as well here on the Drive Time Podcast. And I'll take you right up into the regular season. And then we're full go ahead into 2022. It's almost here. But first, a couple more questions before those training camp preview podcasts, where we also will take a look at the entire NFL division by division and talk to some other teams. Got to get to know everyone else because if you don't have a knowledge of the other 31 teams, you can't properly assess your own team. At Showtime underscore Miami asks, 
How's the progress of the offensive line so far compared to this time last year? First of all, Showtime, what's up, man? He does a lot of Twitter spaces out there, and they're always informative, and most of all, hard to find this, respectful. Check him out at Showtime underscore MIA, and check out his Twitter spaces. I mentioned earlier the pockets that have been afforded to the quarterback for for Tua and Teddy and Skyler to help them load up and shoot the ball down the field, those intermediate rips as well. I think that's been a big positive. You know, this time of year with the way practices are not full contact, but there have been some nice rips where the back gets to the second level, quote-unquote, untouched, not tackled, not tagged off. So I think that's a good start. We can't wait for training camp because we'll get more and more information as we go along. Next one here from at Ruben uh, Ruben Ramirez. What was Tua's third down efficiency compared to other quarterbacks? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have some more information I plan to get to later on this offseason talking about Tua's third down ranks because I think it shows up consistently and he shines in that regard. But he was fifth in the National Football League among all quarterbacks in converting third downs this year. And you look at the other quarterbacks and the successes they had in terms of under pressure, running game support. Tua really showed out well among all those quarterbacks. And those quarterbacks you're talking about are the Patrick Mahomeses, the Josh Allens, the Tom Brady's, the Joe Burrows of the world. So not bad company. Last one here at Murray C 89. How many pieces do you feel the Dolphins are away from a Super Bowl shot or are they already there on paper? And, and then Chris corrected himself from a misspelling. And I love what you did here, my friend, because in my main group chat, every time we mess up something, we correct it the same way you did. You misspelled pieces, and you, after that, you replied and said pieces, comma, even. Like, oh yeah, even pieces. Like, yeah, that that one too. Let's go ahead and add that. So well done on that. And, you know, I think it's a very loaded but fair loaded question. Uh, all 32 teams are playing for a championship, right? Like, everybody has the goal to go to the Super Bowl. I remember Joe Marino of the Draft Network and he previewed the offensive line for us, talking about teams and their life cycles. Different teams are at different stages, right? Like last year, the Lions, you know, they, their roster was not ready to compete in the way that the Buccaneers was or the Rams. And we saw the Rams approach mid-season trades of Odell Beckham and Von Miller accordingly, right? And the Dolphins' aggressiveness this offseason to go get Tyreek Hill for a big draft trade, uh, Teron Armstead for a big contract, Melvin Ingram late in the process to go get Sony Michelle, Raheem Mostert, and Chase Edmonds to add Cedric Wilson in addition to Tyreek Hill to get Connor Williams in addition to Teron Armstead. I think that shows you where they believe the recent drafts of this team have taken this roster ready to compete right now. I mean, look at your roster in terms of the talent descriptors, cornerstones, right? We've got them, vets and young players alike. <laughs> you round out a group of Xavier Howard and Tyreek Hill and Teron Armstead, late 20s, early 30s, surefire blue chip cornerstone players. You know what those guys are. Got a pretty damn good feeling I know exactly what Javon Holland, Jalen Waddell, Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips, some more cornerstone pieces. I know what I'm going to get with those guys. There are quality starters all over the roster who are on the verge of that cornerstone recognition, right? And maybe they already are there. There's lots of guys in this team that really have upside and really have proven roster or proven uh, resumes, I should say. There's depth. So I think that Chris Greer, Mike McDaniel, the entire staff recognized this and thought, we are a competitive team right now. Let's go ahead and add some more firepower. I also think every team in the league has at least one position group to kind of go back to your question about where that addition could be made that they look at and say, 
that could potentially be an Achilles heel. But then from there, it's how do we minimize that potential impact? How do we mask that perceived weakness? Can we help that group out? Let's say it's at a tackle position and you want to bring a tight end or a running back in to chip and help and find a way to cut guys down. Like I go back to that 2018 Bears game, right? Khalil Mack did nothing. A big part of that was Laramie Tunsil, but also a big part of that was the help they gave Tunsil. And then Juwan James, when he flipped over to the other side of the formation, like you can find ways to attack the opposing team's strength and to, and this wasn't a weakness of that 2018 Dolphins team, but to help cover up your weaknesses because when it's Khalil Mack against anybody, that's a weakness. Let's go ahead and help it out. The nice part about Miami's roster is even if there is a group like that, the depth really at every spot would afford you a potential solution. Like if player A isn't getting the job done, there's a player B right behind that guy that you're, you're intrigued about him. And that's really what every team's approach is, right? Attempt to just get your roster from, from player one all the way to player 90 as strong as it possibly can be and improve in certain areas, whether you need to improve upon, you know, your potential age at the position, injuries, contracts, situations, scheme fits. There's so much that goes into it. And how the thing that stands out about the Dolphins roster to me is the fact that there's depth and you do have that kind of backing support of, we feel confident about the makeup of that group opposed to just one or two individuals in really just about every single room. So next year, two picks in the first round, the rest of the draft class all in tow, more cap flexibility. I'm not sure I have an exact answer to your question, Chris, but I think they've done a great job to put themselves in a position to win right now, but also in flexible positions to attack their perceived weaknesses in any given offseason. And look at this offseason, right? We knew the receiver room needed some help. We knew the offensive line needed help. Tyreek Hill and Teron Armstead are arguably the best receiver and best left tackle in the National Football League. So really good job there. And I have to imagine that continues. All right, let's get the heck out of here. The next time I talk to you will be Tuesday, I believe. And we're going to start the positional previews and go division by division and preview the entire 2022 NFL season. I can't wait for that. My favorite thing about summer is going to the beach or the pool and reading preseason content, magazines or books. I used to memorize everyone's roster through the Pro Football Weekly season preview. I would go on jogs and I would recite the starting lineup and the key impact players in my head on those jogs. It actually helped the run go by easier, keep your mind busy. My go-to these days is the Warren Sharp season preview. So I'll be reading that as long as Caroline does not bug me too much poolside or beachside this summer. Please send any summer reading recommendations my way. I'll go ahead and do the same. We are less than a month away from my favorite part of this summer, the Better Call Saul final six episodes. And again, unless Caroline impeded on the plane, I will have finished my complete series rewatch on that flight. All right, so that... We'll break there is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team across all social channels at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ. Coach Mike McDaniel dove into the tank this week. We'll also cover that on a podcast on Drive Time that you heard on Wednesday, as well as the Twitter Spaces show. Check us out there as well. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities and the Fish Tank and Drive Time episodes. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy's coming home. Maybe Cam, too. <laughs>